Welcome. Good morning. Let's stand together, hear from God's word. Psalm 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Won't you say this with me? For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Yes, the light of creation shines on us today. From the sun and moon to the Son of God who is our light, let all who have eyes to see come and rejoice and call on all creation to join us and to see the salvation of our God. All creatures, let's sing it together. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, through a burning sun with golden beams, thou silver moon with softer
Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. I'm Sandy Beauchamp. I'm one of the non-staff elders here at DSC. And it is my great joy to be with you, to worship with you out loud. Please be seated. If you're visiting with us uh, or you'd like some more information about Desert Springs, uh, we would love to hear from you. If you would email us at info at dscabq.com. Also, better yet, we're going to have a few pastors up front, so we would love to meet you personally uh, if, that's, if you have time. We have a new membership class coming. It's going to be February the 5th and the 6th. So if you've been attending for a while or you'd like to learn a little bit more about what membership is like here at Desert Springs, then this class is for you. We think that membership is actually really important for accountability, for mutual commitment, to covenant with one another. So let me encourage you, go to the DSC app uh, or the website, sign up today, space is limited. For the youth, I see a few of you out there, I've got great news. We have youth group back this Thursday. Woo! Indeed. Yeah, shout out for that. So this Thursday at 7 o'clock, they're going to meet here in the worship center. So mark your calendars. It'll be a great time. Let's pray for the rest of our service, please. Holy Father, we thank you for this, this Lord's Day, that we can worship you, that we can come together, we can make much of your name. Help us to turn our hearts to you, to put off distractions, and to be quiet. Lord, we confess our fear and anxieties to you now. We ask that you would indeed melt the clouds of sin and sadness, that you would drive the dark of doubt away. For we know that you are tender and gracious in our weakness, and in you and you alone we find strength and we find hope. We pray this in the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Let us stand and sing for joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like clouds before thee, open to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All his works are good. All thy works with joy surround me, earth and every black thy ray, stars and angels sing.
Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 say, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. What riches of grace. What wisdom revealed in Christ. If you believe Christ died your soul to save, then let our lips repeat his praise once again. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all Oh, oh, oh. 
had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. If you believe that, say amen. You can be seated. Mm, Let's pray together. Father, you, O Lord, are from everlasting to everlasting. And we praise you for your unending love and your mercy on us. We thank you for the gift of life and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you have carefully and skillfully knit us together in our mother's womb. Your works are wondrous, and we know this well. Our bones were not hidden from you when we were made in secret. Your eyes saw us when we were yet formless. All of our days are written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Father, it's with this beautiful blessing in mind that it's natural for us to consider the lives of the unborn and the 40 to 50 million babies that are aborted every year. Over, over 120,000 lives lost every day. Father, we groan with sadness, with the weight of this evil and injustice. We pray for all of these precious, precious souls. Lord, by your grace, will you turn the hearts of the mothers considering abortion? Father, we pray for the fathers that they will commit themselves to raise their children and to care for the mothers. And for the leaders and lawmakers, will you cause them to value the life of the unborn? Will you remind all of us here today to pray in light of our convictions and to help us to consider what we can do to help protect these little ones? Lord, We pray for a wave of repentance from the nations that we would receive the gift of forgiveness. For the sin and the shame, we turn to Christ on the cross and the covering of of sin by the blood of Jesus. Yes, the cross is bigger than all of our sins, our sins of action and our sins of neglect. Lord, I lift up any women who are suffering from the past guilt. May they be comforted in the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We thank you that you offer beauty for ashes and gladness for grief. We can say with confidence, my sin, not the part, but the whole is indeed nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Father, we thank you that we are known by you, that you have ordained every minute of every day. Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. You are the giver and sustainer of life. All of our days belong to you from life's first breath until the last. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and pray all this in your glorious name. Amen. Let us stand and continue in prayer through song. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, say that Thou art. 
If I haven't met you before, my name is Chase Jacobs. I'm one of the ministers on staff here at Desert Springs. We're so glad that you're here if you're visiting. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 12, this morning. John, chapter 12. John's kind of near the back of your Bible in the section that we call the Gospels. When we say chapter, we're referring to the big numbers in there. If you're not familiar with how a Bible works, that's okay. We're in chapter 12. And then the verses are the little numbers, and this morning we're going to be reading verses 44 to 50. So John chapter 12, 44 to 50. Everybody there? All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all these verses, and then we'll pray, okay? So John chapter 12, starting in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would uh, use the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to be uh, pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, have you ever been inside a really dark cave? Like a real cave, like Carlsbad Cavern or something like that. When we lived in Kentucky, my wife and I, we made a trip to Mammoth Cave National Park. Anybody been to Mammoth Cave before? Nobody? It's cool. It's, it's the, okay, there we go. It's the longest cave system, longest known cave system in the whole world. It's like over 400 miles of cave. And it's incredible. We went on this tour. There was like 50 other people that went with us, and they took us down the path. And the path was all, you know, lit up so you could see all the cool stuff. And at first it started, and I mean, it was just like bigger than this room. And then it got narrower and narrower, and then you're going down all these twists and turns, and there's like giant holes that just open up in the ground, and now all these tunnels that go off in these different ways, and it was, it was really neat. And at one point when we were like well over a mile into this cave, the tour guide turned all the lights off. And I have never known darkness like that. Like I couldn't see my wife who was standing Right next to me, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And, and maybe I have been in that kind of dark before, but something about knowing you're a mile inside the earth just makes it feel like you are completely lost. And there's nothing that I could do to get out. You know, if, if you left me right there to say, turn around, figure it out, it was oppressive, this feeling of just darkness. And then the tour guide lit a lantern. Just a little lantern. It was, kind of, it was the kind of lantern that the miners would use when they were mining in that mine. Just a little kerosene lamp. And that was all it took. It felt like it lit up the whole place. That's the power of light shining in darkness. Jesus says that he has come as light. If you've been with us for the last seven weeks or so, we've been looking at these different places in the Gospels where Jesus gives us something of a purpose statement where he says, I have come to Fill in the blank. And this morning, we're going to look at the last of these purpose statements in our series. And this is a fitting one to conclude with because in these verses, we kind of get a summary of everything that we've looked at and considered up to this point in these series. All, all the reasons that Jesus said that he came to, to preach to us, to die for us, to seek and to save the lost. And this passage is also a fitting one for us to conclude our series in because as far as John's gospel goes, at least, these words, this little speech that Jesus gives right here at the end of chapter 12, these words are actually the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry. 
So this, this little section right here at the end, it closes the first major division of the gospel according to John. After this, Jesus goes away from the crowds of people, and he only talks to his disciples in private in what's called the upper room discourse in chapters 13 through 17. And then after that, starting in chapter 18, he is arrested, tried, crucified, and then is raised. So these verses right here, this is like Jesus' last urgent appeal to the unbelieving world before he's taken away from them. And that's how I read these verses as being directed especially at non-believers. So you'll hear that this morning. But church, I don't want you to think that that means you just don't have to listen. Because in these verses, Jesus is calling all of us to believe in him as the Christ, as the Son of God, so that by believing we may have eternal life. And that's something that you do for the very first time, and then you never stop doing. We are just called as Christians to continue to grow in believing these things that Jesus says about himself right here in these verses. And even more, church, I would put this challenge to you that you hear in these words that Jesus is speaking to a lost and unbelieving world, the very same words that he has sent us out to speak. So this message that Jesus preaches here to unbelievers is the message that we go to preach to unbelievers. So listen to these words, listen to this message this morning with that in mind too, that this is equipping us with the commandments that we're supposed to go out and proclaim in the name of Jesus. So what is Jesus calling us to believe in these verses? Well, first in verses 44 and 45, he's calling us to believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus is God. On its face, verse 44 might sound contradictory. Whoever believes in me doesn't believe in me. So it might help us if we supply in there the words only and also. Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me doesn't believe in me only, but also in him who sent me. Who's that? God the Father. In the same way, in verse 45, Jesus says, when you see me, you don't see me only, but you also see him who sent me. And now just stop and think about this claim that Jesus is making. This is a crazy thing for a man to say. Even if this man was some prophet of God, you could not say, no prophet could say that when you see me, you see God. But that's what Jesus is saying. These words are Jesus pulling back the veil just a little bit, giving us a glimpse, just as he has through the whole gospel according to John, of the Trinitarian relationship between the Father and the Son. So as Christians, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in a triune God, that God is one divine, all-powerful, eternal essence or substance, we would say. So we believe in one God, but within the divine essence of God, we believe that there are three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you've probably asked yourself before, where did we get that from? You know, when I read the Bible, I don't see the word Trinity in there anywhere. Maybe you've heard somebody say that to you before, and it's true. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. It's a word that the church developed sometime after the Bible was written so that we could have a word to explain what we see all over the Bible, that this seems to be the way that God is, that God has revealed himself to us. 
especially in places like right here. Everything that Jesus has done up to this point in his ministry has testified to the fact that not only is Jesus fully man like we are, but he is also fully God. He has done things that only God can do. He says things that only God should say. If you were with us around this time last year, we did a series where we looked at what are called the I am statements in the gospel according to John. All of these places where Jesus uses the phrase I am. And do you remember what we said he was doing with that? He was referencing the Old Testament God, Yahweh, I am. And he was applying that to himself, using that all the time about himself. And as we've been saying in this series, that when Jesus time and again says, I have come, that means he came from somewhere. That's Jesus saying, I existed before I was born as a baby in Bethlehem. I have come, as he says in John 6 explicitly, down from heaven. So Jesus is saying again and again throughout the Gospels in so many words, I am God. And we see that here. If you believe in me, you also believe in him who sent me. If you see me, you see him who sent me. So anything that we could say about God, we could say about Jesus, and yet, Jesus also says throughout the Gospels, I am not God the Father. We see that in these verses too. There is a oneness and a distinctiveness between the Father and the Son. We see that that goes to the Holy Spirit as well. So we would say that these three persons of the Trinity, they share one divine nature, and they even occupy the same physical space. So wherever the Father is, there the Son is, there the Holy Spirit is. They are one in this, and yet they are all their own persons. They have their own distinct selves. So Jesus can talk about a me and a him in these verses. Do you see how crazy this is? One and three, triune. That's the God that we believe in. They're united in their essence, and they're even united in their wills. This is what we saw coming out in Ephesians chapter 1, which we read, that, that though the three persons of the Trinity each have their own will, none of their wills operate independently of any of the others. They all purpose the same thing. And you know what they all purpose together as our triune God? To save sinners. God the Father sent God the Son, who was conceived by God the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. God the Son took on flesh, and he grew up walking in the power of God the Holy Spirit in obedience to God the Father, and he died on the cross for our sins, so that whoever by God the Holy Spirit would believe in God the Son would be reconciled back to God the Father, to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen? And these things are too deep for us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Romans chapter eleven thirty three. This is big, right? This is, this is hard to think about. And it should be. That's the kind of God I want. I want an unsearchable God. I want a God that's like a cave that just goes on forever and ever, and I never get to the end of it. He is so much 
bigger than us, so far superior to us. And he has to be because he made each of us, right? We can't even begin to understand how he works. And that's right. I want a God who makes me wonder at his bigness, who makes me feel small, even simple by comparison. A God that is easily thinkable, a God that you think you can fully comprehend that you don't have some questions about, that is not God. That's actually you being God. Now, Jesus here gives us a glimpse of a God who is unsearchable. But that doesn't mean that God is not knowable. And that's what he's going to get to when he says that he has come to us as light. So that's our next point in verse 46. Believe that Jesus is light. Verse 46 again says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So as I said, there's our purpose statement. The whole reason that God the Father sent God the Son was so that God the Son could be a revelatory light to us that shines in darkness. And friends, there is darkness. When the Bible talks about darkness, it's talking about the whole world being plunged into sin. So darkness is shorthand for talking about sin and all of sin's effects in the world, all of the dark, evil things that happen, all of the selfishness, all of the unlovingness, all of the pride, all of the greed. But the word darkness in the Bible also means ignorance, not knowing. Or to put that all together, it really means all of the sin and evil that arises in the world because of our ignorance, especially our ignorance of God. All of the evil things that happen in the world and that we ourselves commit and all of the things that we struggle with, it's all really the result of our being ignorant of God, of who God is and who he made us to be in his image. So our our fundamental need, our root problem is that we need to know God. Do you feel that? I just read an article in the New York Times about an an increase in what's called spiritual directors or spiritual companions. It's a new online service. So apparently, this article was saying that with all of the crazy stuff going on in the world right now, there has been a massive uptick in people seeking out online spiritual advisors. They set up these virtual meetings, and then they ask them all of these questions about the meaning of life and, and how do we navigate this world that seems so messed up. And in the article, they, they cited the, one of these organizations of spiritual directors and what their mission statement says on their website. This is it. Meeting with a spiritual companion can be a meaningful step to help you find wholeness and balance in life, not to mention a sense of connection with however you might refer to God, Allah, the universe, or the ground of all being, that which connects us all. That's what they're offering. And I thought just reading this article, there's so much for us to consider in this. First of all, that, that people have this intrinsic sense within us that when things are wrong in the world, we need to look outside of the world for answers. They did a Pew survey in April that reported that a full quarter of Americans have increased in their spiritual faith and religious devotion since the pandemic started. 
A quarter of Americans have seen what's going on in the world and they have known we need bigger answers than what this world offers. It's what Calvin called the sensus divinitatis, the sense of God within us, that we all have this deep idea that there is something more and that is what we were made for and that is where we find answers. And so these people are trying to find God. And then they come to these spiritual directors who are promising not to tell you about God, but to help you find God yourself. Another of these directors said in this article, most people come to spiritual direction looking for ultimate meaning. However, they might define it, but we don't define it for them. We support you in finding your own way to God, if that's how you describe it, or Brahman, or Tao. These are all different kinds of deities and different world religions. And all of that sounds so enlightened, doesn't it? Open-minded, even. But what it actually amounts to is the blind leading the blind. People are lost and confused, and they come to someone offering them help, looking for ultimate meaning. And then these advisors turn around and they say, well, why don't you tell me what ultimate meaning is? It's absurd on its face. And even more, when you know what God is really like, this triune God who is so much more than us, so above us, so unsearchable. And then even more, when you start to know yourselves and how much our sin and our darkness has separated us from that God and how ignorant we are of that God to just say to somebody, figure it out, you can do it. You can't. Go back to our cave. You're there in the dark and there had been no lantern. We were just left in that darkness, miles beneath the earth. And then I went to the tour guide, and I said, where do we go? How do we get out of here? And he looked at me and says, why don't you tell me? Or even more, he said, you know, it's not really my place. All of these tunnels are equally valid. I don't know why it is, but when it comes to spiritual stuff, we just throw all the rules of reason and logic out the window. That doesn't make sense in that situation. It certainly doesn't in the one that we are in spiritually. In our sin, we are all people who are lost in a deep, dark cave. And in our lives, we are just groping at the walls, stumbling all over each other. And in that, we're hurting each other, just trying to find our way out. And Jesus is a man coming from outside of the cave with a lantern telling us exactly how to get back home. Jesus lights up our surroundings. He helps us to see ourselves. He helps us to see others. He leads us into the light of life. And that analogy breaks down so quickly because Jesus is not really a guy with a lantern. He is the lantern. He is light. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light. He's light because he's God. He's the God that we're ignorant of. He's the God that we need to know in order to find ourselves in this darkness. We cannot find our way back to God, so God found us. This is the gospel. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the one who sent me. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. 
in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. John 1 verse 9 calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. That's our problem. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has made God known. Our fundamental problem, we don't know God, we are ignorant of God. Jesus came to make him known by being the very glory, the radiance, the light of God in our midst. So Jesus says in verse 46, I came as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This was his mission to lead us out of darkness and into the light of life. And how does he do that? By helping us know God even more. John 14, 6 and 7. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is such good news. Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. And Jesus is the truth, and he's the only truth. And he is the life, if you will believe in him, if you will accept him. Jesus coming as a light means that he's the standard. He is the judge that we judge everything in life by. He is our authority, both in himself and in his word, which we can extend to all of the holy scriptures. In verses 49 and 50, Jesus says that he doesn't speak on his own authority. He speaks the words of God, revealing God himself to us. So that's why John in chapter 1 calls Jesus the word of God. We have God's word right here. This is the revelation of God to us. You don't need a spiritual companion You don't need to figure it out on your own. God has told us what he is like. God has told us what meaning is. God has shown the light to us in his word. And you don't get to pick and choose which parts of that you like. There's one light. It's all God's word. Jesus says, everything that I have spoken comes from the one who sent me, from the Father. So if you've got a problem with some part of God's word, the problem is with you and your darkness because this is the light that enlightens everything. Let me go back to our first point. You cannot reject anything that Jesus said about himself. You cannot believe in Jesus as a man and not as God. You have to believe Jesus at his word. You cannot argue with the tour guide. It's all or nothing. Jesus is not open-minded about the way to eternal life any more than a tour guide is open-minded about the way out of the cave. And people in darkness don't always like that. 
Because when Jesus comes and he, he lights us up and he lights up the path that we are to walk on, sometimes we will see that it's not the path that we would have chosen for ourselves. To not remain in darkness, as Jesus says in verse 46, means that you let go of your worldly attachments. This is what we've looked at. You, you risk losing these things that you once held dear so that you can leave them behind in the cave and walk out into light. But some people say, I don't want to leave those things here. I want to stay here with them, with my sin, with my pride, with my possessions, with my pleasures, with my control. In John three nineteen, which is a verse we've looked at recently, Jesus says, this is the judgment. The, life has come, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So that leads us into our last point in verses 47 to 50. When we know God rightly, and then we know ourselves as what we were meant to be in his image and what we have failed to be in our sin, we come to know that we have sinned against God and that we deserve judgment. And then when we know that, and we press in to know this God even more than we know him not only as the judge but also as our savior. The one that will save us out of our sin and out of our darkness. So verse 47 to 50, we need to believe that Jesus is savior. If you back up a little bit in this chapter, you'll see that Jesus has been building up to this final appeal where he suddenly cries out to the crowds. In verse 35 and 36 of this chapter, Jesus says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And then it says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before, him, before them, they still did not believe in him. So even though Jesus had done things that only God could do and said things that only God could say, they still didn't believe in him. And at this point in John's gospel, John actually goes on to explain that their unbelief is, is really a fulfillment of God's plan all along. What was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah it says that they could not believe because God had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And this raises just another mystery about God's bigness and his vastness, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and salvation. And, and we're not going to get into that this morning. But we do need to see that their unbelief is actually a part of God's plan of salvation, especially the cross. If everyone had just believed in Jesus, then no one would have crucified him. And then we wouldn't have someone to die for our sins. This, again, is just too high for us. But for all of that mystery, what we need to see right here is that God's sovereignty over men's heart in this same section does not prevent Jesus from saying that unbelievers are condemned for their own rejection of his word. That's the point. Verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This calls to mind what John has said in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world, 
Or God loved the world like this, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is how we make sense of what Jesus is saying. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What he's saying is, you're already judged. You are already condemned because of your sin. I didn't come to condemn you anymore. I came to save you out of that condemnation. If, if God had never sent his son, we would have all just been left in our condemnation. And, ju- and God would have been perfectly just to do that. But he didn't. God loved us. And how did he love us? He sent his son into the world to save us out of our judgment by being judged in our place. And this is why these, these points of theology that we can, we can kind of let our eyes glaze over and not pay attention to, this is why it matters so much that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. He had to be fully God because how else would we see God? And how else would he have the power of God to save us from our sins? But Jesus had to also be fully man so that he could die. So that he could die the death that you deserved on the cross. This is why he came from heaven, to suffer our punishment in our place. Verse 47, Jesus says, I came to save the world. This is how he does it, by receiving the wrath of God in our stead so that we can have eternal life. And now to be clear in verse 47, when John says the world, when Jesus says I came to save the world, that doesn't mean it doesn't mean the whole world. Like everyone on earth without exception will be saved because of what Jesus did. That would not make sense in this passage. What Jesus is saying is by the whole world, it means anyone on earth without distinction can be saved. There is no barrier to being saved by Jesus. This has been a theme that he's developed. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you come from. Anyone and everyone can be saved by Jesus. But how are you saved? You have to believe. Verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say is the Father has told me. What's the commandment that he's talking about here? In one sense, it's just all of the word of God. Everything that God has said and revealed most perfectly in his son. But you can summarize it like this. This is the commandment of God that is eternal life. Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus died the death that you deserve to die. And was raised in the power of God because he is God. And you will be saved. It's eternal life for you. But you have to believe it. I don't know if we think about the gospel like this all the time. We we, we like to think about the gospel as an offer of salvation, which it is. But it's also a commandment. You have to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. If you don't, you will be condemned for your unbelief. For your disobedience and disobeying this 
word. And because of that, you will suffer eternal punishment in the last day. That's what Jesus says in 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus is looking forward to that day. To that day when he does come to judge the world. We know from places like the book of Revelation that Jesus will come again. He came once as a humble baby born and laid in a manger who grew up as a poor, meek rabbi teaching us the kingdom of God, dying on the cross for our sins, being raised, and then went back to the Father and he's coming again. And that time he's not coming meek and mild. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of Jesus, the word of God, coming riding on a horse with tattoos on his legs and fire in his eyes. And he draws a sword out of his mouth. It's terrifying. It says his clothes are dipped in blood. His first coming, he he came as a savior. And his second coming, he's coming with a sword. And you have to deal with one or the other of 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 those visions of Jesus. When you talk to these spiritual advisors, they make it sound like you have a choice. If you want to choose Brahman, go for it. Choose Brahman. You like Tao? That's great. And the implication is that that Jesus is just going to sit by and let you pick whichever one you want to. But friends, that's not the case at all. You do have a choice right now. You have a choice in this life what God you want to worship. But you will not have that choice in the end. There is only one God. The triune God. And he made you. And your whole life is bound up in him. And your whole life is driving to him. You may be able to ignore Jesus right now, but you won't be able to ignore him in that last day. And when he comes as judge, he's going to stand there and he's going to open up the book. And you will be condemned for your sins. And in that day, you're going to ask for mercy. You're going to ask for relief. You're going to say, this isn't fair. And then you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to hold up another list of all of the times you heard the gospel. And you didn't believe it. Of all of the times you heard this offer and this commandment of salvation and you rejected it. And Jesus is going to say, I tried. I wanted to save you. But you wouldn't listen. You rejected me. And for that you will be condemned in the last day. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, this makes me think of my daughter So she's four, and she's right at that stage where she wants to do everything herself. You parents go through this. So sometimes you'll you'll be standing there, and I'll watch her do something, and she's doing it totally wrong. It's not going to work. I'll say, Evie, sweetie, you're doing that wrong. Let me help you. What does she do? No, 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 no. I want to do it myself. She's learning. And parents, you know, sometimes you just overrule them, right? Like you're like, nope, you're doing it wrong. Let me do it. But sometimes you stand back. And you let them fail. Let them struggle. Let it all go wrong. And then finally they stand and they look at you. And you, and you look at them with this righteous, I told you so. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I know that it can sound really unenlightened. And it can sound really closed-minded to say that Jesus is the only way. But, but think about it that way. I think about how many times Jesus asks us to come to him like children. To come to him and admit, we're ignorant. We don't know what we're doing. But God does. 
we have a God that wants to show us the right way, but look, there's only one right way. And he said, I want to be near you. I want to, I want to help you. Please stop slapping my hand away. Because I don't want to stand there at the end and say, I told you so. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our hope. That we are ignorant. We are little children. And we have such a big God. Amen? Such a big God who loved us in our ignorance. And wants to help us. Sent his son to die for us. To make everything that we've messed up right. And I say, I'm still your light. I'll be your light forever. I'm going to lead you in the paths of light. All the way home. All the way out of this cave. Until you're with me. And I love what Jesus says earlier in this chapter. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Isn't that awesome? Children of light. When we believe in the light, we become lights ourselves. Not the light. We are reflecting the light into the whole world. Isn't this what Jesus says to us? We're not supposed to hide our light. We're supposed to let our light shine before men so that people in this dark world can see his light in us, in our life. And they can hear us speak this same commandment. Just like the Father sent the Son to speak only what the Father told him. Only the words that the Father has given him. Not his own words. That's what we do. We speak this same commandment to the whole world. This gospel. To people that are lost in darkness. And have this sense that the answers are in God. We can say here's the light. Here's the way. Let me, let me show you how to walk in it. Walk with me in it. So that you too can become a son or daughter of light. And in that day when Jesus comes, for us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He paid for our sins. When he opens up that book, it just says paid in full. Jesus paid it all. And we will enter into a relationship with our triune God in which we can plumb his depths forever. And we will see him as he really is. We'll know him as we are fully known. We will live with this amazing, wonderful God, never ceasing to be amazed by him for all of eternity. And we'll live in a new heavens and a new earth where the book of Revelation says we won't even need a lamp or sun for the Lord will be our light. And we will live and reign with him forever and ever. That's our hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your, your light of revelation, even in your word this morning. God, I pray that you would illumine all of our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit through this word. God, that we would all believe in you more, that we would have a bit more of an understanding of what you're like and also a bit of an understanding that we can never know what you're like. Not completely. But we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for your word that is eternal life. And I pray that you would help men and women in this room are watching online that haven't believed in you yet, to believe in you now. To not reject this offer right now and not add this to the list of times that they have rejected your commandment. 
that they would be saved and know the light of life. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and respond. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I mean, isn't this the best news? Oh, praise God for the gospel. Praise God for his son, the light. If you're listening this morning, if you're here this morning, 
and you, you know you haven't believed this yet, you're skeptical, please don't reject this command, this offer. At least don't reject it without investigating it further, maybe. Can I invite you to, to try and learn a little bit more, try and see some more of this light that we've all seen? Can we talk to you about this? If you have questions, we're going to have people right up here up front. We would love to talk to you about that. Or, or as uh, Sandy said, you can email us, info at dscabq.com. We would love for you to believe this gospel, believe in Jesus, and have eternal life with us. And church, walk in the light. Amen? Be sons and daughters of light in this world that is dark. As Paul says in Philippians, shine like stars a dark sky with your lives. And we do that together. So I will remind you again of our membership class. If you're not a member, we would love to uh, bring you into membership in our church so that we can walk in the light with you. And then I would remind you members that we've got a membership meeting on January 27th. So what day is it? I don't know, in like 10 days. It's a Wednesday night. You do need to register or you can tune into that online. Okay, but, but make that a priority. Members of this church and also next Sunday is a Lord's Supper Sunday. So if you can be there, please make every effort to be there so that we can love one another as we love our Lord and remember the sacrifice that he has made for us. So that's next Sunday. But this Sunday is very special. This is a special Sunday. As, as most of you know, um, our position of children and families minister has opened up when Tim Bradley moved into the role of groups and biblical counseling. And so we have been praying and, and trying to find the right person to step into that role of uh, discipling our parents and discipling our children. And so this weekend, we have someone visiting with us to, to investigate if this would be the place that they have for them. So I'm very happy to introduce you. Why don't you guys stand up? They're right back there. We'll put their pictures up on the screen. This is Tate and Rachel Medzima and their little girl, Lily. And they've got three boys that they left back in Texas. Xander, who's six, Zeke, who is four, and Kai, who's two. I didn't check with you guys if that was right, but I think that's right. Okay, good. Um, so this is really special for me. Tate and I are old friends. Uh, we went to college together. We, had a, we took a class in college together, and we have long desired to minister together if that would be the Lord's will. And so um, I'm grateful for Tate and Rachel. He's been at the Village Church in Denton, working there for like 10 years doing uh, children's ministry and preschool ministry, and, and this brother just has a heart for discipling parents. He has a heart for loving on little kids. He's, they're a faithful family. We're grateful for them, and, and we're grateful for wherever the Lord would lead you guys. Okay, we, we pray that it might be here, but we just want him to do his will, and so I ask that all of you would pray with us. Pray for the Madzimas and as they try to discern God's call, and pray for us and the leaders and elders of this church that we would discern that as well. So we're going to close our service by praying for you guys. Y'all can sit down now. Thanks for standing up. Love you. We're going to pray for them, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this sweet family, and we thank you for their many years of faithfulness and for the gifts that you have given them to use for the building up of your body. We pray that you would lead them to a place where they can continue to do that to your glory, where they can shine a light among your people and help parents know how they can walk in the light with their children and, and help children to know what it means to believe in Jesus as their Savior. God, we pray that you would use them in that place. And if that would be Desert Springs, would you make that clear to all of us, to all of us involved? Lord, we want you to be glorified. 
And God, we do pray again that you would use this church, even this word this morning, to send us out to spread your glory broader and deeper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.